you doing today? You look so good. I'm so excited to be here with you this afternoon. Hey, if I don't know you, my name is Whitney. I get to be one of the pastors here at Living Church, and it's my honor and privilege to get to share with you this morning. Thank you, Pastor Trustin, for the opportunity. It's uh, it's a privilege I don't take lightly. It's a big responsibility. I'm grateful to get to share uh, what God has for us today. We're in a series on parables. Parables, uh, if you missed it the first week, parables are stories. Um, we did the parable of the talents last Sunday where we talked about how we can't hide the things God's given us. We can't bury them in the sand out of fear. We have to expose them and use them and invest them in God's kingdom, invest them for the glory of God. And so if you missed it, then I encourage you uh, to go back and watch it, to go back and, and see it. You can catch it online at livingchurch.com on our YouTube channel. You can check it out. And uh, so go and pay attention to it. Jesus, he told a lot of parables. He told a lot of stories. There's 40 parables in the three uh, gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Parables are just stories. They're stories that help us understand and illustrate a lesson, help uh, broaden our, our thinking and our imagination. Any parents that we have in the room today? If you're a parent, you understand the power of stories because your kids probably ask you to read them a story all of the time, especially right before bedtime, right? They want you to read them a story and another story and another story, like write all the stories so they ain't got to go to bed. My kids, we we made a rule. We did uh, every night we would tuck them in. We would say the prayers. We would read a Bible story and then they could pick one more story that we would read them, one more book that we would read before bed. My kids loved Dr. Seuss books. You ever read a Dr. Seuss book? Dr. Seuss is amazing. He's got these rhythms and rhymes, these things that are catchy that help you remember and understand, but it also has bigger ideas behind it that help you uh, expand the kids' minds to think a new way of thinking. And so I'm telling you that my kids today eat fruits and vegetables because I used to read to them the book Green Eggs and Ham. I'm telling you, it's true right? I do not like green eggs and ham. I do not like them. Sam, I am. You do not like them, so you say, but try them, try them, and you may, right? It's a bigger idea. If you try it, you might actually like it. And so Dr. Seuss helps us tell stories to our kids, and Jesus, he was the original storyteller. He was the one that started telling stories, speaking truth to his followers to help understand these big ideas and these practical applications to help open their hearts to what he wanted to share with them, what he wanted them to see about who he was and what he had come to do, and sometimes they got it. 
Sometimes they were like, yes, Jesus, you're the best. I'll follow you into all eternity. And sometimes they were like, huh? Cool story, bro. What? Jesus told parables to his followers. He also told parables to unbelievers, to people whose intentions were not pure, were not good, were not righteous, people who were trying to be his haters, who were trying to, to trip him up and get him uh, caught in some, some way that would go against God's word. And he would uh, tell the parables to them to the, reveal their hearts and their true intentions. So today we're going to look at a parable in the book of Luke chapter 10. You know, I think this parable may actually be one of the most famous parables of Jesus because this one is one that now is a common phrase in our culture. Non-Christians and Christians alike know about the story of a good Samaritan where people do random acts of kindness and love for one another. And, uh, whether you're familiar with scripture or not, I've, I'm sure you've heard a good Samaritan story. If you are driving down the road and you see someone with a flat tire, and then it seems that a stranger has pulled up and is helping them change their flat tire, you would say, oh, look at that good Samaritan. They're so kind to help that person out. If you're at the grocery store or at Target and you see a mom pushing that red cart out to her car with three kids who are going crazy and the oranges are like rolling down the parking lot, and you go and stop and help her load the groceries into the car, you would say, oh, that is a good Samaritan act. I just did a good deed. Back in 2014, there was a story published in People Magazine where a lady uh, pulled up to Starbucks and in the Starbucks line in Florida at 7 a.m. And she said, hey, I want to do something. I want to pay for the coffee of the guy in line behind me. And then for 11 hours, for 378 customers, all the people in the car paid for the people in the car behind them. You got to hate to be that selfish 379th lady, right? Who was like, nah, I'm good. I'll just pay for my coffee. But the article quoted it as a chain of good Samaritans. This is something uh, that we hear in society all the time. And can I tell you, if I pull up to Starbucks, y'all be knowing me, like if I pull up, I'm in need of my caffeine and my dehydration in my life. Like I need it. I've already gone over my budget line item. Like I prepared for it. I know. But if on that particular day, someone wanted to pay for my coffee, I would be so happy and excited that they did this nice deed for me. But I would understand that that's not really a true good Samaritan because there is so much more to this story than random acts of kindness and good and deeds. And so let's read it together in Luke 10. Luke 10, 25, there's a lawyer. Um, he's not like a lawyer in a courtroom. He's like a lawyer who's an expert of the Jewish law. There was over 600 Jewish laws that, that they had to follow in order to be in right standing with God. And so um, this guy's an expert, so they call him a lawyer. And it says in Luke 10, 25, behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test. So right there, we already see that he is one who uh, is testing Jesus. He's not one of his followers. He's one who's trying to kind of catch him and see. He says, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Well, Jesus turns to him, knowing he's a lawyer, and says to him, well, you tell me. What is written in the law? How do you read it? And so the lawyer answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your might. 
and you're to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, well, you have answered correctly. Good, you got it, you know it. Do this and you will live. But it says, but desiring to justify himself. See, here trying to get off on a technicality, saying, uh, he says to Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? Who, who do you say, Jesus? Like, I know what I say, but who do you say is my neighbor? And so Jesus replies by telling him a story. He says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. That's a pretty intense story. Now, by chance, it says a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Hmm, you would think a priest, a leader of the church would be loving, but no, he passes by on the other side. Then it says, so likewise, a Levite, This is another godly man. When he came to the place and saw him, he too passed by on the other side. And you've got to be thinking at this moment, like, what in the world? Is anybody going to help this guy? But then it says a third guy, a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he sent him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of this man and whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. So Jesus turns to the lawyer at the end of the story and says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers. And the lawyer said, well, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus was like, good, yes. He says, you go and do likewise. So you see this lawyer, he's an expert in the law. He's asking the question, who is my neighbor? To verify and justify, to make sure he has his laws and his rules figured out just so, so that he can have eternal life. He's wanting to know who is my neighbor. We all have neighbors, right? You have a neighbor? You have a neighbor? I have a neighbor. If you live in a house, you have a neighbor. If you live in an apartment, a neighbor. A townhouse, you've got neighbors. If you live on a 1,600-acre uh, farm, you still got a neighbor, somewhere that li- someone that lives in close proximity to you. If you live in an RV park and travel the country, the people in your RV park, you would consider them your neighbors. We all have neighbors. And I know some of you have neighbors. We have some of those neighbors that we love that when we see them, we're like, hey, we hug them. We borrow sugar from them. We're so glad we live in this community together. There's those other neighbors that you see and when you pass by them uh, in the driveway, you just like wave quick and grab your newspaper and run back in the house right before they try to have a conversation with you. And then there's those other neighbors, the ones you drive into the driveway, into the garage, shut the door, right, before you even get out of your car because you're like, I am not even talking to that neighbor, right? We all have that neighbor, right? Aaron and I in every house, in every place we've lived, always and forever, have that neighbor. The guy who knows the dish, he knows the scoop, he's going to pay attention to what's happening with all the people, he's going to write it down whenever they don't put their trash cans back fast enough, like whenever they haven't mowed their yard in enough time, he's going to let people know, hey, what's happening, that neighbor, but you love them because they're your neighbor. They live in close proximity to you. One time uh, I was trying to be a good wife 
And I thought, let me help my husband. I'm going to go mow the yard. I can do it. I'm going to be so good. I actually really like to mow the yard. And so I went out and mowed. I did so great. My lines were so straight. It was looking so good. It was a Friday night. And so we went to dinner together afterward um, to just hang out and have a good time. And when we came home, we pulled into the driveway and we saw our neighbor in our yard, digging up uh, some dirt and covered in mud. And I'm like, dude, what's happening? And he's like, well, I don't know. My wife and I were walking by with our new baby. We were just on a walk. And he said, apparently, whoever mowed your lawn last ran over the sprinkler head and cut it in half. And so the geyser of water was happening in your front yard while you were gone and you weren't home. And I didn't want there to be water flooding all over your yard. So I ran home and I got a wrench and I happened to have a new sprinkler head. So I went ahead and replaced it for you. And I was like, God, we have got to call those people who mow our lawn. They are the worst. I cannot believe that happened. Ridiculous. But he helped us because he was our neighbor. If he'd have been in North Dallas uh, driving by someone, he probably wouldn't have stopped and helped somebody. But because we were neighbors, he helped us. And so the simplest answer to who is my neighbor is the guy next to me, right? I mean, you see, the jo Jewish lawyer, he's, he's asking questions. He's trying to justify himself. He's like, Jesus, I'm a Jew and you're a Jew, so we're the same culture, the same race, the same religion. So like we are neighbors, right? But like that guy over there, like we're not the same. So like he's neighbors with them, right? Like I'm neighbors with you, but he, right, I just want to clarify. I just want to make sure I get it right so that I follow the rules just so. And Jesus, he's trying to expand our understanding of who our neighbor is. In fact, he's looking at the guy like, dude, the question should not be who is your neighbor, but how do you be a neighbor? This is not a knowledge issue. This is a heart issue with you. He's like, stop worrying about making sure you know the exact definition and just focus on being an actual neighbor. So he tells this story to help explain, to help uh, us understand what it is to be a neighbor. So we look back at the story. There was a man, a traveler, a Jewish man going on a journey from Jerusalem to Jericho. As Jesus is telling this story, I imagine the people, they understood this road. It's an actual real road from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's 17 miles stretch of desert. If you research, it says that this area was known for its difficulty, both in its terrain and in its trouble. So in its terrain, it was winding and downhill. There was a lot of jagged edges and rough areas. And so people sometimes got lost. They got turned around because it was a difficult area. Also, it was known for trouble. It was known to be a place where people were robbed, where they were beaten, where their stuff was stolen. People took advantage of the travelers on the road. And so the hearers of this story would have immediately had empathy because they would realize that could have been me. Because I just traveled that road last week. I could have been that guy. And so uh, they're familiar with the story. They relate to the encounter with this man. And I think you and I can relate to it too. I think that in our journey of life, we are headed from here to there. We're on a journey, all of us, going from one place to the next, from this place we're at today and the place we're headed towards. And we've all experienced some difficult terrain. 
We've all experienced some turns and twists in the road, some jagged edges that have caught us as we're walking by. We've all experienced some trouble, some disappointment, some hurt. If you live long enough in this world, you will have trouble. So we've all experienced some difficult moments where we've been beat up and abused and abandoned. But you know, take heart, because God has overcome the world, right? But if we've experienced trouble here in the church, can you imagine the people of the world, what they've experienced, the people in our lives that we know outside of these walls, the difficulties and the terrain that they've encountered in their life? We got to understand that we've all experienced trouble. The story continues as we see by chance some people coming along the path. And so we think, yes, they're going to help him. We have hope that he'll be all right, right? The first guy is a priest, y'all. He's a priest. So of course he's going to help. He's like the pastor. He's the leader. He is the guy who sacrifices, uh, does the sacrifices for all the people. He is the one closest to God. So of course he will help, right? But he doesn't. The Levite, if you want to know what a Levite is, a Levite is also someone who is connected to the temple and to the church. He uh, is actually a church worker. He's someone who prepares the house for the priests to be ready to do the sacrifices and receive the people into the house. He is like maybe what we would call the head usher or the leader of the refreshments team. See, he's close to God too. He understands the laws and the rules of how you can connect to God because he's living it. His job, his gig is doing good deeds. And yet he walks on, on by him. It doesn't even say they walk by and were like, hey, you okay? We got somewhere to be, but like, I'll call 911. I'll make sure you're okay. They passed by on the other side of the road so they didn't even have to speak to him makes me so frustrated because these guys seem to know the rules and the law, but they do not know love. Like why? Why are they ignoring him and his pain and his wounds? Why? I don't know if they were just in such a hurry doing God's holy spiritual work that they didn't have time to stop and help him. I wonder if maybe they were afraid that what happened to him might happen to them if they got too close to the circumstance and to the situation. I wonder if they knew all the laws so well. You know, there was one law that said if you touched a dead body as a priest, you had to go through a ritual of cleansing because you were spiritually unclean. And so maybe they decided that their uh, life and their purpose was more important than this guy's life and his circumstance. Man, they knew the rules. They got it all wrong, though, because rules will not help anyone when they are desperate and dying. Rules won't do anything to save you in the midst of the dying situation. The law could not save the man. The good works and deeds that that guy did every week couldn't save the man in his circumstance. Only love could save him. Living Church, can I tell you that there are desperate, dying people around you every single day. And Lord, help us if we become a people of priests and Levites who are running around doing our holy work, getting our spiritual stuff checked off a box, but not taking the time to stop and love the people in our life around us. Won't anybody help this man? But here comes the Samaritan. We finally meet 
the hero of this story. You know, he's the unlikely hero because in that day, Jews and uh, Samaritans did not associate with each other. In fact, Jews thought of themselves as an elite race, an elite group, and they would have no dealings, no conversations, nothing to do with the Samaritan people. But yet we see this man who stops and gives his time and his energy and his resources generously. It's an outrageous story to understand that though he knew the man on the ground hated him, he still stopped to love and help him. The priest and the Levite, they were the same. They were the same culture, the same race, the same religion. He should have recognized that he was his neighbor, but instead they kept on walking. It was the Samaritan, the lesser class, the lesser race that was able to step in and had the capacity to help the man because he had compassion and he had love. It paints a picture of a man who, though he's hated and rejected, he still stops and saves the very man who hated and rejected him. In any other circumstance, that Jew most likely would have spit in his face. But on that day, he had compassion and love for him, and he stopped to help him. Can I tell you, there are people in your life who have spit in your face. There are people in your life who you know under, uh, under other circumstances would have nothing to do with you, but they still deserve your love and your compassion. You know why? Because the Bible tells us in 1 John four nineteen, we love because he first loved us. When I was a mess and rejecting Jesus, he still loved me. When I was laying in a ditch in a mess out of brokenness and pain, my heartache, he still walked by and came over and picked me up and said, baby, I've got more for you. We're going to walk through some healing together. I'm going to take you on a journey and there's more that I have for you and your purpose and your destiny. I love you. And so I'm going to take you and heal your heart. See, we have to have compassion and love for others because that is what Jesus did for us. Jesus calls us to love everybody. He's telling us how to be a neighbor. The lawyer, he is just worried about doing it just so, doing just enough to be in right relationship with God so he can have eternal life. But Jesus is trying to tell him how to have a better life where he can love all the people. Can you imagine if today after service, I saw you in the lobby and you came up to me and you were like, Man, Pastor Whitney, that was so good today. I really like that story about the Good Samaritan. It's so good. You want me to buy you a coffee? I'll buy you a coffee. You got the best shoes. Man, I love your shoes. I would say, you are right. I do have the best shoes. That is so true. You know, I want us to be friends. I think we could be good friends. I'm going to invite you over to my house. You know, your husband, he is so handsome and kind. And it's just every time I talk to him, he's like he's my best friend. I love him. He's so great. That's true. That You're right. He is the best. You know, your daughter, she sang so good on the stage. She jumped around and danced. She led us into, she loves my kids and living kids so well. They just love her. I love your daughter. She's the best. But I got to talk to you about this one thing. You got this son that like, have you heard him play the drums? Like, I can't even come up for a prayer partner because he is so loud playing the drums that it just like makes my head hurt. Like, he drives me crazy. I know he makes those little videos. He thinks they're so good. They're not that good. I, don't, I do not 
like your son, but I love you. I want to be friends. Like, it's going to be so much fun. Come over to my house. We're going to have a great time. How many of you think I'd be like, yeah, let's come over to your house. I would love it. I just won't bring him since he makes you crazy. That's no problem. No. I'd be taking my hoops off and handing them to Rachel, and y'all would be having to hold me back because I would be like, are you serious right now? If you don't love my kid, you don't love me. You're going to hate my kid? Well, then forget you. But how many times do we do that? We say, I love God. Oh, I love my God. He is so good to me. But them, ooh, no, I don't like them. We are all God's children. God has called us to love everybody. Because if you don't love his kids, you don't get to love him. You don't get to. You've got to be loving to all the people, whether they are like you or whether they are not, whether they look like you or whether they don't, whether they sound like you or whether they don't, whether they act like you or whether they don't, whether they believe like you. I'm serious. Here in Mansfield, there are all kinds of people. But Living Church is a place where we love and welcome all the people into this place because we know that God has a plan for them and his purposes for them are good and they are welcome here into this house. You know, prejudice, it's a much bigger word than talking about skin color and race. Prejudice is anytime we put space, us versus them, between anybody, anybody, culturally, religiously, whether we... Uh, don't like someone, we're against them because they're poor and we're rich because they live on the east side and I live on the west side, right? Whether it's because they work out at the gym and I like to sit on the couch so I do not like them, they are so vain, right? Whether it's me against you because you watch Hulu and I like Netflix, right? Because I drink coffee and against, I'm against the rest of y'all that I don't even know how do y'all even live life. Like, that's who you guys are. I'm praying for you, Pastor Trust, and I don't understand. But we are called to love all the people. We cannot separate ourselves from any of God's people. Otherwise, we have a massive heart issue. How do we love? We love with compassion because he first loved us and so we love all the people. Love calls us to another step, which is compassion. Compassion is not just feeling like sorry and sad for someone. Compassion requires action. It comes from the uh, original Latin word that means to suffer with. We have to get in the suffering with our people, just like the Samaritan did. Y'all, we are called to get off our donkeys and do something. Y'all want me to read it in the King James Version so you understand what I'm saying? We are called to get off our donkeys and do something to help other people, to have compassion for them, to get in the midst of their circumstance with them. What does it look like to be a neighbor? Guess what? It's all right here. 
Luke 10, 33 and 34 says, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him. He bound up his wounds. He poured on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The first thing he did was that he saw him. He saw him. In order to have compassion for people, we have to see them. We have to pay attention, wake up and pay attention. Stop looking inward, me, my pain, my struggle, my circumstance, me. Look outward, look at those around us and see them. Have you ever been walking and your phone like buzzes and then you look at it and then you keep walking and you're about to run into something? Never happened to any of y'all, it happened to me at the Gap last week. Like, the Gap, they got these big glass windows, right? And somebody texts me and I'm reading it and I'm like, oh, I got to go. And I start to walk out the door and I ran right into the window. Y'all laughing, but you know you've done it before. You got to stop looking inward and look outward at others to see them. See them in their pain and in their hurt and in their circumstance because we all have trouble in our life. And so we have to see people. The second thing was he went to him. He went to him. He had to get down off his donkey, kneel down close to him and go to him in his pain. He didn't run away. He didn't cross to the other side. He wasn't worried about his safety. He wasn't worried about his, his possessions and his own protection. He went to him. We have to go to people in our life. We have to stop running away from trouble and start running in to their pain, running in to their circumstance. You know that single mom on your kid's soccer team that you get bugged at because she's always running late and she always forgets snack on her snack week? What if... Instead of gossiping and being frustrated about her, what if you went to her and said, hey, how can I help? Can we go to coffee? I'd love to connect and get to know you. You know, over coffee, you might find out that her husband left six months ago, that it's all she can do to get out of bed in the morning, that she's having to work two jobs just to pay the mortgage. You might find out something about the fact that you might be able to help. You could offer to carpool. You could offer to take her kids to soccer. You could offer to provide the snack for her that week. You know, you, you got to go to people in order to be a part of their circumstance. You know, that couple that's struggling in their marriage, instead of walking by and saying, bless you, you know, marriage is hard. You know, it'll be all right. Keep going. Like, why don't you invite them over for dinner and husband? Why don't you tell about that time when you were a big jerk? And, and ladies, why don't you tell about the time when you were crazy? Y'all are quiet, but it's real. I've been married 17 years. He's a jerk. I'm crazy. That's what happens. If you can go and have dinner and be real about the fact that there was a time that you struggled, but that God is for us, and so who can be against us? You guys are going to make it because we did. Let me walk with you on this journey. We got to go to them in their pain and in their circumstance. Third thing was he bound up his wounds. The Samaritan wrapped up the man's wounds that he was healing or bleeding from. He was in so much pain and he had all of the sores from being attacked and yet the Samaritan went to him and covered him and wrapped him up. There are people bleeding all over the place in our lives 
Instead of pointing out their struggle, we need to cover them with some grace and some love and some understanding. You ever gotten ketchup on your shirt? You walk around the rest of the day like, trying to cover it up, right? But then somebody you meet, you encounter says, hey, did you know that you have ketchup on your shirt? No, really, I didn't know. Thank you, thank you for pointing that out. We got to stop pointing out the pain and the struggle in other people's life and instead say, hey, I know about a Jesus and he can cover that. He can take care of it. His love and his grace is bigger than any circumstance, any struggle, any heartache that you've walked through. We got to cover and bind up people's wounds. The fourth thing is he poured on oil and wine. Oil and wine in that day, they were used for surgery to begin the healing process. Oil was for soothing and wine was for cleansing. Cleansing and soothing, cleansing and soothing. It makes me think of a verse that Pastor Trustin loves that he shares in this house all the time because it's who we are as a church. Ephesians 4, 15, you speak the truth in love. Truth is cleansing But the love is the part that makes it soothing so that healing can begin in people's lives. We got to be willing to speak truth in love to the people around us, to the people that we see, to those that we go to. He poured it out of jars, I'm assuming, or whatever he had in his satchel to bring. We have to pour some stuff out to people around us sometimes. And in order to pour stuff out, that means we have to have stuff in. We have to fill up with the right things so that when people in our life are struggling and having a hard season, we can speak life to them. We can pray over them. We can pour out the love of the Holy Spirit in their life, speaking wisdom and truth. Any of you uh, get anything out of that Above LL series that we had around here recently? That's why you got to come into this house and be here every week so that you can be poured into Pastor Trust and I were talking about it this week, and he said, I want you to tell them something, a mandate of the house, that you have permission to plagiarize any words spoken in this place. That the people in your life, you're allowed to speak words, to pour out what you've heard here to them, to help them heal in their life, to help them through their circumstance. It's all just in here anyway. You got to put it in so you can pour it out into their life so healing can begin in their life. Number five, he set him on his own animal. The Samaritan man, he went to him and then he got off his donkey and he picked him up after he bound his wounds and he put him on his animal. So I'm assuming that the rest of the road to the end that he then walked while the other guy rode, right? That's a little inconvenient. It's my animal. I want to ride the animal. Like, why do you get to ride the animal instead of me? It's a little inconvenient, but sometimes we have to inconvenience ourselves so that others can find the healing that they need in their life. Next Sunday, we go to four services. 8.30, 10, 11.30, and 1. And we're asking, we're asking this service, actually, if most of you would shift to the one o'clock service, because we understand that the 10 and the 1130 are the ones who most likely people who've never been here before will attend for the first time. 
The Samaritan gave up his seat for the other man, and you may need to give up your seat sometimes so that someone else can experience the love of Jesus. We love because he first loved us. Attend one and serve one. You guys are asking me to attend one and serve one. You're, an, an hour, you want me to give you an hour out of my week to serve somebody? You think it was convenient for Jesus to leave heaven and come down to earth to be beaten and put on a cross to die for my sins and for yours? Sometimes we have to be inconvenienced. It's just an hour a week. What can you do with that hour? God can change someone's life for eternity. Sometimes we have to be inconvenienced. Sixth thing was he brought him to the inn. He brought him to an inn. In Jesus' day, there was not like all these Motel 6s and like Hilton Honors rewards, right? But they did have these inns. They had strategically placed them along the road of life so that as travelers were traveling, they could take refuge from the rough terrain and the rough trouble that was on the outside. And so he had to bring him in to the inn, into the community of safety, in to the house where the man could find healing. You got to bring your friends into this house, y'all. Because this is the place where their lives will be restored. This is the place where they will find healing and peace. This is the place where God can show them that there is more that he has for them in their life. You know, you know the people in your life. I don't know them. Pastor Trustin doesn't know them, but you know them. You see them. You run to them. You can help them, and you can bring them into this place. We make these invite cards. We print thousands of them, not because they're cute and cool, but because we want you to be equipped with the way to invite the people in your life into this place. We post all the things on social media. It's a big thing that we care a lot about, not because we're trying to gain notoriety and fame and social media followers, but because we want them to have an opportunity to find out that they're welcome here, that we want them to come into this place that maybe one day they'll stumble in here and find some healing in their life. You gotta bring them into the house. And can I tell you, that when you bring them, we'll do our best to create space for them, to provide a seat for them. Can you imagine if the innkeeper uh, would have told the Samaritan, sorry, we're out of room. Sorry, you'll just have to take the dead, uh, half dead dying man out back on your, uh, your donkey because we don't have a space for him. No, you have to have space. These cards are, there's 72 of them. They are the cards we've received in the last seven weeks of first-time guests in this house. That means 72 families that have come into this place for the very first time. And what if we didn't have a seat for them? And so can I promise you that if you invite your friends, we will continue always to make space for them. We won't stop working really hard to create an opportunity for them to come and meet with Jesus. We've been meeting and planning. We met with the owner of the land behind this building. Have y'all ever had a hard time finding a parking space here at Living Church? 
you laugh because I know it's a, it's a problem. So we've been meeting with him for free. He's going to let us lease his land. And then we're going to pay to put a gravel parking lot there so that we have more spaces available so that people can find a place into this house. Pastor Trust and I are meeting with our architects all the time, trying to build the master plan and the first space so we can build a building on that 36 acres that God has given us so that our inn is big enough to bring in all the people in your life and in my life who need the touch of Jesus. So we won't stop y'all. We gotta bring the people into the inn. Lastly, he took care of him. Luke 10, 34, he brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. I looked into it and a night's stay at an inn back then cost about one thirtieth of a denarii. One thirtieth. So that means that he paid for about two months worth of time for this guy to stay at the end. He paid for his needs today and his needs for tomorrow. Paying for an inn, it costs some money. It requires an investment. There's an expense to keeping the house running. You can be mad at me if you want to because I'm about to say it, but there's an expense to keep this house running. And we're all called to invest our kingdom currency into this house so that more people can know the love of Jesus, to keep the lights on, to make the coffee, to have the curriculum so that when your kids grow up and they face trouble, they won't struggle so hard because they'll have a foundational truth of who Jesus is and who he says that they are for new believers that we can give them a Bible and say, here is the word of God. It's gonna change your life. There's an expense to keeping the inn open. And then to take care of people, you have to care for people. You already know this because you come to church here, but when you walk in this place, people will care about you. That is who we are at Living Church. We love all the people. We want people to come in and find healing, to find uh, the restoration from the moments they've gotten beaten up on life's journey. Living church is a place where dead things come back to life, where dreams are reborn and restored, where what was yesterday is no longer and what is today is now new. Old things become new because of the power of the Lord. And this is the place where people can find that in their lives. When you invest in this place, you are investing in a good thing. You're investing in a good thing. You're investing in eternity. Do you understand that families, entire lineages and legacies in this house, I know the stories, they're changed forever because of what you do to invest your money and your care and love for people in this house. Who's my neighbor? Everybody. And how do I be a neighbor? By loving them with compassionate love, just as Jesus loved me. Would you stand with me this morning? At the end of the story, Jesus asked the question, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The lawyer said, well, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, well, you go and you do likewise. You go 
and love everybody. You go and have compassion and mercy for everybody. Living Church, four services starts next Sunday. Two weeks after that is Easter. Can I tell you who goes to church on Easter? Everybody. You know where they're going to go? Wherever they get invited. Two weeks after that is our house party where we celebrate all that God is doing in this place where people are baptized and make their public declaration. Then the next Sunday is Mother's Day. Every mama wants her family to go to church with her on Mother's Day. And right after that, we start a brand new series on marriage and family, marriage and mixtape. You are not gonna wanna miss it. Oh, it's gonna be so good. That's seven weeks worth of an incredible opportunity you have to bring people into this house. Will you see them? Will you stop and go to them? Will you get down on their level and bind their wounds and speak some life and truth into them and say, hey, come with me, baby. I know a place where you can meet Jesus. We have a great opportunity and we have a great expectation because he first loved us. We will love them. God, I worship you this morning and thank you for this house, this house of people who loves all the people. God, I pray that you will bring us to a new understanding of how to be a neighbor, how to have compassion and love to those in uh, all of our family circles and life surroundings. God, that you would let us start a new way of living, of loving all the people. In Jesus' name, amen.